Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, we want to ask you all a little bit of a favor to help support the show. We'd like to learn a little bit more about you about every year we ask you guys to do this survey. We got this record response the first year we ever did it that was really helpful in getting the show off the ground but it's that time of year again so the way to help us out here is to go to podsurvey.com slash cap space slash cap space url not a big surprise to anyone who's listened to the show regularly here take a quick anonymous survey that'll help us get to know you a little bit better anonymously and we can show advertisers how great our listeners are how responsive they are and you can also choose to enter for a chance to win a hundred dollar amazon gift card Subject to terms and conditions. Once again, podsurvey.com slash capspace. Pod is in podcasts, survey.com slash capspace. Thanks again for all of your support in letting us live our dream here by doing this show as often as we do. All right, so we're making this into a two-parter, and we're going to start in the middle of the alphabet, work our way down with the Miami Heat, 26 and 32 now. It's been 14 games since we last checked in on them, but they are only 4-10 and 10 in that span. 23rd in the NBA with a negative 1.2 net rating. 24th in offense, that is where they have struggled, of course. 6th ranked defense, always a strength under Eric Spolstra. They project for 10th place in the East, 36 wins, only 23% chance at the playoffs. And Danny, they are dealing with some injury troubles as well, despite the at least availability of Goran Dragic, even though he hasn't really gotten back into the swing of things yet. Yeah, he did play a little bit in their deflating loss to the Detroit Pistons, but they're dealing with yeah, a bunch of stuff. I mean, Justice Winslow, James Johnson, and Rodney Magruder are all doubtful for their game on Monday against the Phoenix Suns, and they're getting up against it a little bit just because I would say part of the story here is that the bottom of the East playoff picture that some of those teams are actually stepping up and so they're gonna have to theoretically step up to meet it but they're four and ten in the last 14 so that is unfortunate but this is a mailbag 15 and 16 we got some interesting questions and the one I want to start with is from Chris Willoughby which is just who is the best long-term prospect on Miami's roster what I think is a, a challenge with this is that Miami really only plays three guys that are younger than 25. And I don't consider, you know, Josh Richardson, he's a really good player and he hasn't been in the league that long, but he's not a prospect at this point. He's a actual player. So then if we're talking about those three guys, that would be Justice Winslow. This is age 22 season. Bam Adebayo, age 21. And Derek Jones, as well as Derek Jones has played this year. I think you're really looking at the first two. And I'm going to go with Bam. I, th- I still like his his physical potential and every he he does things that absolutely wow you this has been a another growth year for just winslow we have another question on that at some point but i i like the way that bam can scale into different elements on a successful team whereas to me justice winslow's game he i think he's more of an elevator of teams that aren't that don't have as high of a ceiling and and that there's you know that there are limitations to his game that would become more challenging on a better team 
Yeah, it's really a tough call. You would have to say it is Winslow. He certainly is deemed to have a, a really good attitude. He's a very solid defender. Not quite elite, I would say, but always has had very good metrics on that end, even going back to his rookie year, which is very impressive for any kind of a rookie to be a solid defender, not to mention a 19-year-old. Yeah, The shooting that he's added, I think, has been big. This ability to handle the ball while Dragic has been out has been big as well, but he's not quite the level of athlete that you would really need him to be. I mean, I think offensively, the fact that he has the size is great. I still don't see him developing into a real off-the-bounce threat in the pick-and-roll, and he's not blindingly quick, and he's not an incredible finisher at the rim. His passing is solid. His ball handling is solid for his size, but he's more a guy that you use in a pinch, which is what they were in, uh, of course. And the fact that he's developed there, the fact that he's become a better three-point shooter, more volume, 37% this year with those high-arcing bombs, I think is encouraging and he's a guy who's going to work and in the heat system certainly someone like Josh Richardson has made big strides as well and I wouldn't put it past that for Winslow also so maybe you could see Winslow developing into a player along the lines of Richardson out of bio to me just because of the position he plays really difficult to see him being an absolute elite guy the fact that he struggles to finish around the rim when it's not a dunk is a concern and his ball handling has something to be said for it but you know he's not going to be quite as versatile as a guy like Siakam I don't think again another guy we didn't see coming but ultimately what this gets down to and my pick would be Winslow by the way Jones has also added a little bit to his game but what this gets down to is that as good as their development system has been they really don't have that amazing guy in the pipeline at this point in time and they're I mean watching them in live in Oracle Arena a couple of weeks ago I was just I really enjoy watching and really respect the games of so many other guys and they just don't have that one big time player to play off of like all of these guys would be so good on like really good championship teams as you know third and fourth pieces but unfortunately they're sorry having to share the duty of first and second pieces on this team i've talked about it before in terms of their south florida brethren the orlando magic that they were that team for a long time where i said everybody else in another situation would be better off and i think miami has really taken that mantle partially because miami's guys we already know that they can defend and many of them have been successful in other places i think they're a lot in a much different situation than orlando because so many of these guys are actual like two-way players you know, like Orlando doesn't really have. Any well, I'm talking about Orlando guys. a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true, though. I, I was thinking for me, the guy like this is Evan Fournier. Like Evan Fournier is the like fourth Orlando's best guys. I think a lot of them. I mean, Vucevic, although he's obviously has progressed far beyond where we ever thought he could be this year, kind of falls in that category. Like, okay, well, you're not a great team. You need some offense. You need some guys to create shots and space the floor. But he's got massive weaknesses. Like these guys actually have a lot of players who could play in the playoffs. I think it'd be effective but just not as a primary creator. That's a fair distinction. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to fight that too hard. Um, what else we got on these guys here? We got about two minutes left. So somebody asked, uh, Justice Winslow went from defensive non-shooter to a shooter score, his shot was broken. Is that enough to win most improved player? To me, it isn't, but he, I mean, we will acknowledge his improvement, but it's just, it's not really this the same type of thing. He has shown more and the ability to to produce with the ball in his hands is a welcome surprise. It's a, it's a wonderful one, but I haven't seen like, for example, Let's let's use Pascal Siakam here now. I haven't really poured my brain for most improved yet because that's not something we do throughout the year. I really like to think about it and see where things go. But Siakam looks like a completely different player 
to an extent on both ends of the floor. Like he, he had some defensive tools last year, obviously, and he was intriguing. But that's really, to me, when there is a guy who's overhauled it or last year, Oladipo, you know, he was a completely different player. Winslow has shown new facets and those new facets are important, but I don't see that kind of leap from him personally. Yeah, I haven't even begun to think about most improved. There's, that's one of the hardest awards to pick every year. That's why we just wait to do it until the end, especially because measuring improvement so often that comes in the form of shooting and you can have a hot month or two and so you don't want to overreact necessarily to something like that but certainly he's he has to give a lot of respect to the improvement that brings us to our next question of some guys that you just would like to see in a heat uniform Andrew Wiggins is certainly one that I think would be a, a really interesting one they might actually like make him work on his body a little bit which would be uh would be pretty helpful I mean a lot of it is just kind of toolsy wings uh, that sort of archetype that they of course have had a ton of success with which guys like Richardson's Jones Winslow Deanne Waiters to some degree as well actually you know who would be one for me although it's not like Dallas is doing a bad job with him is Luca and, and Nikola Jokic I think those two guys who are really good already in spite of having kind of doughy bodies if they really got into that heat system that could maybe make a big difference in their games and take them to even another level I wouldn't say it's necessarily a body concern, but I would love to see Marquise Chris just, if he can figure it out defensively, I feel like it's going to be there. And now Houston was already a disappointment for a bunch of different reasons, but like if he got on their, you know, training camp team and they gave him a shot, maybe even if, if he can't get an NBA contract, which I think he might be able to with the, with the sky force or something like that, maybe, maybe you could activate a little bit more in him because there, there's a ton of physical talent there. It just needs to be hard and if, if it can be harnessed okay last one really quickly here how many positive assets do the heat have outside of their draft picks Derek Jones Jr. is non-guaranteed at the minimum for next year. That's one. Bam Adebayo, still you would have to say so, although he's, I think his star has fallen a little bit here. Winslow is an interesting one. He's got three years, $39 million after this year, $13 million a year. I think with the way he's improved this year, his youth, you put in that category. Josh Richardson, certainly, and I'm spent. Yeah, I mean, Dragic has a, that $19.2 million player option for next year, but he's been really sidetracked by injuries, and I'm not sold that he's, you know, a, a, a surefire starter. We'll see. I mean, he, he could get back there for sure, but I wouldn't put him in that camp right now. And for some of the other guys, you know, the annual value, like for Kelly Olenek, isn't bad, but he has a player option, and, you know, he's not a starter really, so do you really want to pay a backup big $13 million a year? Probably not. So yeah, I would go with the players that you mentioned and then Magruder's a res- pending restricted free agent but you know him on the minimum sure absolutely yeah and obviously I mean I, I, it's hard to call him an asset when you can't you literally agent, can't do anything yeah. with him right now precisely all right let's uh move on here who's next next up is the Milwaukee Bucks the Bucks are 45 and 14 a whopping 12 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 number one in net rating number two in offense number one in defense which is awesome projected to finish with 62 wins which would be first in the east and the overall NBA and they're making the playoffs I'm a little bit queasy that Giannis is doubtful for their game against the Bulls due to right knee soreness this is something that we've been monitoring you know he's he's missed a little bit I believe that has been with right knee soreness as well yeah I mean I mean going back to last year he's had uh, persistent problems there so yeah that's something we're going to need to keep an eye on and the question that i want to start with is from bucks film room what is considered a successful season for the bucks at this point and 
I mean, they've been the best team in the league overall this season. And so the short answer would be they have to make the NBA Finals. And I, you know, like, yeah, that that would unambiguously be a successful season, even if they don't win the Finals. But there are pathways where they don't make the Finals, where I think this is still a successful season. You know, the, the growth that they've shown under Budenholzer, they, I mean, they do have all these pending free agents, so we'll have to see what happens with those guys. But and Giannis has, you know, morphed into an MVP candidate, which is fantastic. But if, like, so if they get eliminated and it's just, you know, another team plays really well and, and steps up, something like that, then I would still consider that a, an an absolutely successful season, given what we already know. But if it's, you know, like some sort of like structural problem, you know, one of the things that maybe their, you know, their defensive approach doesn't work as well against superior talent or something with, you know, with their offensive that they can't get good shots reliably against teams that are activated defensively, you know, these really talented defensive teams, then we start to get a little bit more concerned. But I mean, so, but, and again, I I like that it was asked at this point because obviously they've had a remarkably successful season. If we use preseason expectations right and i mean we thought that we were really ahead of the curve when we picked them for the low 50s in wins this year and considering where they were these last few years even getting into the conversation with that big three in the east philly boston and toronto would have in theory been considered a success based on what's realistic now the at this point is an interesting one with you know how they've been the best team in basketball statistically this year and with Toronto now four games behind them in the loss column, they are looking very likely to get home court advantage throughout the East playoffs at the very least. And certainly having it against the Warriors in the finals would be pretty nice to, as well if they were to get that far. But so you've got that adding to the stakes, of course. And then, of course, the free agency of all these guys who could leave this year. And then Giannis having to make his decision on the designated player veteran extension in the summer of 2020 as stakes as well. And so certainly I think making it to the East Finals as the number one seed. I mean, if you don't make it to your conference finals as the number one seed, that's definitely a big problem. Any kind of a loss in the East Finals that wasn't close, you know, I mean, it they'll be the home team. So you would expect they probably lose in six if they lose. Anything that, as you mentioned, reveals deeper structural flaws with this team, whether it's giving up too many threes, whether maybe Giannis, although he's shot the ball much better from three these last few games, he was on pace, as you'll recall, early for one of the worst three-point shooting seasons ever, but he's actually taking some pull-up threes now. Uh, Still not as efficient as the twos, but I think it opens things up enough. As long as guys have to get out there and guard him a little bit instead of just laying back in the paint, Or, I mean, I think even more importantly, too, if you can't use the strategy, you know, like the Nuggets did, like some other teams have, of actually like putting your center on him. And if if you have to get that center has to get out on the floor, now Giannis can blow by. I mean, that's going to be huge. But let's say, you know, that three-pointer, the jump shot doesn't really work. He struggles to create an ISO a little bit more, better defensive teams, teams that have guys that he just can't physically overwhelm going to the rim one-on-one with that spacing around him. You know, if it looks like he's not quite there, that's going to be part of it. And then, you know, even if they get to the finals, if they just get completely crushed by the Warriors. Although the other thing too is, let's say they make it to the finals, they get crushed by the Warriors, then KD leaves. Well, hey, maybe they're the favorite going into next season, depending on where everybody ends up this summer. So even that might end up being successful if they can go into next year as the favorite. It does seem like Giannis is... You haven't heard some of the same rumblings about him. You know, everybody always says, oh yeah, you know, I really love it here in whatever market I'm in, blah, blah, when they're in his situation. But it does seem like he is maybe a little more loyalty to the Bucks organization than the typical player does 
in that situation you know i mean you're not feeling the same way about him as you were about anthony davis maybe a year ago now um so that's uh, that i think is uh if you can just get to where you're a consistent contender in the east even i think you know hopefully that would be enough whereas with some other players it's like well if we're not a consistent finals team i might consider losing or or i'm sorry leaving i should say so I, i've rambled on quite a bit here but i think it's really it's so complex because what is going to be enough of a level of success to keep this team together that's really the question uh that's going to determine you know what a successful season is to me perhaps more so than any other variable other than simply winning the championship obviously that would uh, that'd probably be successful that's a good lead into a question from spags of how would you order the re-signing of the five major bucks for agents in importance to rattle through those bledsoe middleton miritich Brooke Lopez and Malcolm Brogdon, who is a restricted free agent. I would go Middleton one, hardest to replace, and I mean, just fills a really important role. This team would be really wing thin without him. Out a good way to do Still it. Still pretty young too, actually. Yes, yeah, he could, he could fit in well with this group for a long time. I would actually put Lopez second because even though there are bigs that do part of of what he's been successful with with the Bucks this year, not as many guys who can protect the rim well and shoot threes. And also his is important. Again, it's the replacement idea. Like it, they would lose a lot of their identity probably in one side or the other. Then I would go Bledsoe. I mean, I think Bledsoe is a superior player to me than Brogdon. Also, I, I guess it, maybe it's not fair that I'm counting Brogdon being a restricted free agent a little bit in that. And then I'm going to put Brogdon over Miritich for right now. If Miritich could really step up, but Brogdon has been very good overall this year and been important for them. Yeah, I mean, tell me how these dudes play in the playoffs. If Eric Bledsoe plays as well in the playoffs as he has these last two regular seasons for the Bucs, then he becomes a, a lot more interesting. And then also, tell me how much their contracts are going to be. I mean, Chris Middleton, it seems pretty darn likely if he doesn't get a full max contract from the Bucs, it'll be one of these DeRozan five years at, you know, maybe 10 million less than the absolute max. And at least he's only 27, so that helps. You know, he's younger than some of these guys. So I, I think he's the most important. I mean, he's also just due to the optics, him making the all-star team this year, even though I, I personally didn't think he deserved it. Uh, that's that's pretty important as well. To If you lose an all-star, I mean, that just looks so bad, uh, regardless of whether I probably actually thought that Bledsoe might be playing a little bit better than him, even on this team, um, when we did our all-star selection a little bit ago. But obviously, it's, it's very close. So they're... Uh, and, and you could... Also also argue that Middleton's more important to their success than Bledsoe just because teams don't leave him um yeah so I'd probably go Middleton I'd put Brogdon probably last of that group uh well maybe Miritich last because we know that they've been really good with before they even got him and then uh Miritich last Brogdon second last I mean Lopez is really important what they do he's older you but you know finding a guy who protects the rim the way he has i mean that's been so important to their success helps out on the defensive glass it's so amazing to me by the way do you remember back when people were like oh brooke lopez sucks like he can't rebound you know back before people really knew to look at the team's overall defensive rebound rate instead of just like how many rebounds that the center himself got um yeah and then obviously that super deep shooting uh, that he's had has uh, been huge for their style Wait, so I do mean, you want to like, stat on that yeah. just a second yes. Yes. Last year, Milwaukee 30th in defensive rebounding. This year, second. Yeah. And there's exactly. co- there are coaching and a lot of other things involved in sure. it, but Brook Lopez has been an important part. Yeah, and as we talked about too, the prevention of shots at the rim is a big part of keeping your defensive integrity and getting defensive rebounds also. 
Yeah, so I'd probably go Middleton, Bledsoe. I mean, Brogdon's younger, but I, I just think it's easier to find guys in that position. Like, And I think some of the things that he does, you know, his kind of secondary driving is nice, his three-point shooting is nice, but he does not like a, he's a, a huge volume guy from three. So I think you can get production at that position more easily. Um, and I don't think Brogdon is like a, as good defensively as some of those other guys are either. So that would probably be my ranking, at least in terms of like how good they're going to be next year. You know, if we're talking about three years from now, you know, Lopez will probably be done or, you know, moving out of being a starter level of player a few years from now. But next year is pretty damn important, just like this year is. So I'd say for next year, Lopez is more important than Brogdon. But of course, they don't have a, the ability to pay Lopez as much if they're going to stay over the cap. It's going to be a tough offseason for John Horst to manage. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of moving pieces here and all but one of them are unrestricted free agents so they can do whatever they want. They have leverage f- through that, but they also can leave of their own volition should they so choose. Question from Brett, why doesn't Giannis get more defensive player of the year buzz? Milwaukee's massive, massive improvement on defense this year is attributable to a lot of things. And I think Giannis is their best defensive player and has been important. And the Bucks have the number one defense right now. But I bet part of it is just that people like, and buzz is always a hard thing, but it's that they don't necessarily buy this. I do. Like, I think their their defense is completely legit. I think Giannis is the best player in it. And so there's this skepticism that a team can jump from 18th to first in defense without massive changes in personnel. I mean, they obviously have changed some, but, and coaching is a huge component of that change. But yeah, I think he deserves consideration. This is a, a, a pretty weird year. Uh, we'll talk about defense player of the year whenever we end up doing awards. But yeah, I think, I think Giannis definitely deserves more buzz than I have heard him get, and he deserves serious consideration. Yeah, I think people may view him as more of a perimeter player still, just because of the whole point Giannis thing and really more what he was when he came into... Like, I mean, he's clearly a power forward now, but I think people may grade him more as like a perimeter guy, and he's not really, you know, a stopper. He's not guarding the best guy on the other team, rather than him as more a, a really good help defender. Uh, but they also have a ton of components to this defense. I mean, he's certainly someone I'll be looking at very seriously uh, when we do uh, our next awards. But it's also just something defensive player of the year i mean there's been research done on this that kind of all defense teams take a year or two in terms of the numbers to both recognize guys who are ascendant and also recognize guys who aren't as good anymore as they used to be you know kobe bryant being a perfect example of this late in his career so i think that could be a big part of it also uh all right we got to get to the knicks got some pretty interesting questions uh, on them some of our listeners may remember the year 1989. That was actually a pretty good Knicks season. That was the Patino year when they really took a, a huge leap forward, ended up losing to the Bulls in the second round. That was also the year that the internet was invented. We've come a long way since then, but I bet for a lot of you, the software that you're using every day at work is just really frustrating. It feels like you're stuck in the past. You can take a leap into the future and find the right software for your business on capterra.com, the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. They've got over 700,000 reviews. Such a big number that I stumbled over it. From real software users, Captera has everything you need to make an informed decision. You can search more than 700 specific categories of software from project management to email marketing. No matter your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Visit captera.com slash capspace, which is easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time here on the program. You can go there for free and find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Upgrade your software, capterra.com slash capspace. 
That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash cap space. Let them know that URL slash cap space that you came from us. The New York Knicks sit at 12 and 48. They picked up their first home win since December 1st. Man, being a Knicks fan, seeing games in person this year must have just been absolutely miserable. They sit now at 5 and 24 at home. They actually broke a 17-game losing streak by beating the Hawks shortly before the All-Star break, but still a tidy 2 and 14 since we last checked in on them. Their negative 9.3 net rating is only 28th in the NBA per cleaning the glass. 27th on offense, 27th on defense. They project for last in the conference at 17 wins. What's their injury situation right now? Frank Nokina is still out with the groin issue. I believe tonight's game was the 12th consecutive one that he has missed. DeAndre Jordan also did not play in the game due to an ankle issue, and he does not have a specific timetable yet. I do not know personally whether that means it's bad or if that just they just don't have a, t- a timetable yet. And yeah, I mean, a, a, sh- a surprising but impressive win for the Knicks. Moutier went off and they got some good performances all around. And one of those, we can talk about the question from Ryan. What is Mitchell Robinson's ceiling and is he the best long-term prospect on the Knicks roster? I really like... So who oh, else is... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, who else is in that conversation then for best long-term prospect? I guess Knox. Frank. Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith. I, I believe it's Dennis Smith. Uh, in I mean, I think Robinson, what he's doing is underrated. Certainly, he is just an unbelievable athlete, uh, both in terms of the amount of ground he can cover. He plays hard. Excellent rebounder. Great raw shot blocker. Obviously, has to refine his instincts on defense. But he's also a center. He's never going to be able to shoot, I don't think, outside of the immediate basket area. And so that's sort of a player you're just never going to be that good. I mean, you're, you can't really, maybe in the East you can, but you're probably never going to reach all-star potential. So if we're really talking about the ceiling, yes, and as an athlete, certainly he's there, but he's not going to be a guy, I think, who's ever going to create one-on-one offense. He's going to, other than, you know, offensive rebounding is kind of creating your own shot, maybe in a way that's underrated it a little bit but i think it's it's smith and maybe even knox if we're talking about the pure ceiling just due to his athletic gifts certainly we've discussed many times some of the issues that that he has and how far he has to go on both ends in terms of his development and i you know i think smith has been about as hoped so far with the Knicks, his stats so far as a nick coming into today's game when he had 19 and 13 against the spurs Assist percentage has been pretty solid at 34%. Usage, 27. That's actually lower than I thought it would be. Hasn't particularly been efficient, though. 49% true shooting. And the problem there is really the outside shot. I mean, he's been getting to the rim really well. 43% of his shots at the rim, hitting 64% of those. But the three-pointer has been broke at 25%. Long twos, 26%. Floaters have been really bad, too. He hasn't taken the time, though. So the fact that he's getting to the rim and finishing pretty well, I think, is encouraging. The jump shot, always a question mark with him. You know, I think he's had some moments where he's looked good. Other times that make you think like those moments are total luck but I mean just given his athleticism I think the fact that he started to show some more vision having some high assist games getting to the basket and finishing those are all good signs to me and so I still think that Smith and Knox have the higher ceiling just because really more the value of what their potential skill sets could be at more valuable positions despite the fact that you know you might say that Robinson may have a higher floor than either of those two guys. 
Mitch Robinson's ceiling is is tantalizing. I mean, his physical ability. I mean, the guy guy can jump. He's super long. He he's can be engaged defensively. And at some point, he'll stop jumping, biting on every single pub fake in the world, and that will be even more impressive. He had, and he still gets a ton of blocks, five tonight, and he's had a great block rate. Something I want to keep an eye on, I hadn't really thought about this too much, but he's been a wonderful offensive rebounder. He has not been a great defensive rebounder, and this does not appear, I want to watch more film, but just from the stats of it, to be a situation like, let's say, Steven Adams, who is not a good defensive rebounder by the numbers, or Brooke Lopez, who we just talked about, but his teams rebound well. The Knicks are in the bottom quarter of the league in defensive rebounding when Mitchell Robinson is on the floor. That could be surrounding talent. There are a lot of other things that can be, but I, I do want to keep an eye on that. But Robinson is disruptive defensively, and I think offensively, there's there's an easy path to him being a useful probably not dominant, but useful player. And so that type of guy is valuable. I would go Smith one, Robinson two, Knox three, just because I I, I think that there are a couple steps that if Knox doesn't, you know, reach that level as a, you know, as a reliable shooter or defensively, he's been a train wreck a lot of this year that it just makes him a lot harder to play. And I would rather have a starting caliber center than a bench wing if that's where it ends up going. And I'm not saying it is definitively. These guys are really young, but I'm going to just put Robinson over Knox, though it, you know, these guys are so young. We'll see how they look in a year. All right. Lightning run here uh, since we're almost out of time. That was an interesting one to discuss. So I'm glad we got that one. Can the Knicks go over the cap to re-sign DeAndre to make KD happy? Well, in theory, I mean, he's making 22 this year. His cap hold would be 150% of that. His maximum would be up to 38 million. So you could keep it that cap hold on the books, which would be a little over 30 million and get an extra like 5 million of wiggle room there. But it doesn't make any sense to waste all of that room on DeAndre. You would have to remove his cap hold, which is basically a placeholder for what he's projected to sign for. You'd have to remove that to give enough room for the two max slots for KD and hopefully Kyrie or whoever else it ends up being. And then you'd be limited to only the room exception, which will be a little under $5 million to start. You can only give out a two-year contract starting at that number so you would have to use some of your cap space basically to re-sign him no matter what you do and that probably won't be the most efficient way to do it this whole keeping deandre around to make kd happy i'm not sure how realistic that is unless he's willing to sign for far far less or they don't get the first the second max guy if kd just comes and then they don't get another max guy then you know maybe you bring back deandre but you know he's also not really any good anymore that's that's kind of a problem when and how much will the um, Knicks be sold for i i don't have any inside information on this my instinct is that james dolan isn't going to sell the Knicks soon because i don't think of a particularly strong reason for him to do so i don't think he needs the money and w- i mean i did that podcast with amino hassan for real jam radio a little while back and you know people own teams to have that experience and even though he is a deeply unpopular owner there's only one way to own the new york knicks and that's to own the new york knicks so unless something happens where they can force him out and i think that would be good for the league though i do not expect it to happen at all i wish it was easier to get rid of bad owners so i don't think they're gonna i don't think they're gonna sell anytime soon and if they ever did they would sell for a ton of money because they are you know the glamour franchise in a massive massive market yeah i mean uh, if it if it weren't over 4.5 
4.5 if we're talking about in the next couple of years that would really surprise me um what kind of contract do you see Noah Vonley getting this summer seems like he's a little undervalued uh, he's had a solid season for New York I think he's got some versatility but he's really a specialist he's not a starting level of player at either big spot defensively he's not enough of a rim protector not quite a good enough shooter to be a plus on offense not quite enough of an athlete to go up and get alley-oops solid rebounder but not really a game-changing one he does have good switchability defensively but he's not elite there either so I think he's more you know a team like the Sixers as a backup center I think could use him and I think there are a lot of teams that you need sort of your traditional backup center and then you need one with some more mobility I think he's a valuable player I think he's you know probably a, a fourth big type third third big on a bad team so what kind of money does that guy get three million bucks a year maybe you know i think you that would be you know i think he's above a minimum level of player at least in my opinion i don't know the league seems a little lower on him than we have all right let's get to the magic here orlando 28 and 33 9 and 6 since the last 1560 including an impressive road win over the toronto raptors on sunday afternoon they are 22nd in net rating a little bit negative there 23rd in offense a strong ninth in defense and 538 projects them to win 38 games which would put them eighth in the eastern conference that means in the playoffs and 538 gives them a 61 percent chance of making the playoffs yeah i mean that was in the 20s you know for the last time we checked in on them it was and they've been playing really well and I, just why, one, why do you think that is? is is there something that's happened you know recently that might uh that might have impacted how well they're playing mo bamba still has plenty of potential to be a very good nba player i i don't doubt that i i liked him as a draft prospect but he was weighing them down and Kem Birch has played meaningfully better than Mobamba. Now, I, I tweeted out earlier today, you know, the Magic are plus 4.5 in Kem Birch's minutes and negative 13.4 in Bombas. And, you know, Vooch being the stalwart starter, though it's not apples to apples, but it's relatively close. And that's not all on Kem Birch. They also have, you know, Jaron Grant has played less recently and they played with Isaiah Briscoe, who's currently dealing with the concussion protocol, but they've looked a lot better. And one thing that was striking, I watched a lot of the game today, was that they didn't really have a drop-off in the second unit as as much as some especially younger teams though they're they're kind of a different form of young team and some of that was Fournier being out there Terrence Ross is a wonderful reserve had a great game today so they've been able to stay competitive you know the starting lineup has done better than I expected and then now they're able to not just hemorrhage points with the second unit out there and that gives them a lot more to work with yeah I mean Birch 5.2 net rating only 327 minutes Briscoe 4.3 net rating 475 minutes those are the two best net ratings on the team at this point in time and they've been doing it mostly with defense on that second unit they still have really struggled offensively and so i think there could be a, a luck component there i don't think of their second unit as just like some amazing defense solid. so there's certainly briscoe and birch i think are upgrades over the guys that they're replacing at this point in time and i think also john simmons was another guy who i mean he was part of that second unit so he was dragged down a little, but you know the guy was shooting like 21 percent from three or whatever it was and just didn't need to be respected he he wasn't really playing at a rotation quality a level either uh, and they've gotten just you know Wes Wundu is not amazing either but you know that's not, he's not a huge drop off from what Simmons was giving they've also been healthy you know they had some nagging injuries from guys throughout the year as well 
So we'll see how well that keeps up. I mean, I do think that's a little bit of smoke and mirrors, this quality of play they've been getting from their second unit lately. Let's go to a question from Bizort. At what level do you see Jonathan Isaac developing offensively? I've seen the case for Jonathan Isaac primarily as a defensive thing before I've said that he kind of profiles more like a, a better version, ideally, of a low usage center. You know, he can can do some as a role, role guy. He, he is still aggressive looking for his jump shot. I don't particularly love the look of it. It just seems a little bit awkward, but he has been much more productive in, in recent going. He had a stretch of, I think, 15 plus that was running for a while. And if he hustles down the floor, especially, he can be, he, I mean, he's faster than than a lot of the guys, even when he's playing power forward that are, that are on him. He had some nice transition finishes in their game against Toronto. So I think you really run in that and then some as a role guy. And then if he can ever get the jump shot to a point where teams actually either have to close out on him or just have that guy out out of the area, then those could be even bigger benefits to his team's offense. And the ball's just got to go in the basket for him offensively. 29% from three this year for, for his career just a hair above 30 percent he's taking a fair percentage of his shots from downtown 4.2 three-point attempts per 36 minutes is not incredibly low but it's still really he's very far away from being a quality shooter never really gets to the foul line either although he does shoot a pretty decent percentage there but he's kind of got that shot that starts down in front of his body doesn't have the highest release point doesn't have a ton of versatility to shoot the ball on the move in the slightest he's basically a pure spot up guy even in pick and pop we haven't really seen it any kind of work from him from the outside he has at least stayed healthy that's uh, something good to look at but at this point in time it's really difficult to see where it's going to come from for him maybe that's using his size against smaller players in the post every once in a while but he's not really strong enough to go in and overwhelm smaller players at this point he's kind of just got to shoot over him and he could be effective there but you're only going to make so many mid-rangers over smaller guys in terms of your efficiency unless you're really an elite guy there and i don't see him at that level so i mean at this point in time yeah he's young this is age 21 season but the available evidence indicates that he's probably going to look like a minus offensive player and now maybe he could be so good defensively that it makes up for that but the thought that like okay he's could be like a small forward level of skills no that that i mean he's probably a below average offensive power forward right now if he makes more shots that's great but it's still looking really more like spot ups transition maybe smaller guys in the post every once in a while but i I don't see him being uh certainly a star level contributor and maybe you know more likely than not a below average guy offensively subject to change obviously there are many outcomes still available to these guys to guys this young and uh with his physical tools from matthew bell if fultz were to come back and look somewhere close to as good as he did as the number one pick how good could an orlando team built around fultz isaac and mobamba actually be the hope there would be that Fultz and either Isaac or Bamba can be your kind of your identity focuses on both ends of the floor. So Isaac or Bamba is your defensive stalwart, and then Fultz is generating a lot of your offense. If we pause the question, posits if Fultz can get back to that level, I think you could have a, a, a talented group on both ends of the floor. We've already seen the Magic defend this year, so you know that that you would need a lot around them. You you would need the probably the two through four or however we're seeing it with Isaac. And if you're playing Isaac and Bamba together, you're going to need a lot of offense at the two and the three but there's a playoff team in there and if those guys really produce and you put good town around it there could be a top top half of the east team if we're looking as rosy as that hypothetical posits for marco Fultz. really quickly how much money do you think vucevic gets i'm gonna say 
$62 million guaranteed. I don't know what number of years that'll be spread over. That's kind of how I look at some of these contracts now of just, you know, how much guaranteed money is in it. Uh, so that's about where I see it. I mean, there's not a huge market for his services, even having made the all-star team. But with Mo Bamba clearly not ready, especially if the Magic make the playoffs or come close this year, they're going to want to keep him around. You know, and this could be the contract that gets Vooch to being you know, a retired number type of guy. The fact that he made this one all-star team, probably people in hindsight will be like, oh, he was playing at a near all-star level for much of his career in Orlando that's not true uh but you know I mean he's a deserving all-star selection this year in the east and I think it's really more I mean you've got sort of the hey keep him around and keep him happy and keep the fans happy and he's a pillar of what we're doing here aspect which could lead to him getting overpaid by Orlando but then just the few teams that are going to be in the market for a center that really makes it kind of less likely. But I think it would be really interesting, you know, if a team is looking at him or, say, DeMarcus Cousins, who's been struggling a lot lately, you know, which of those two guys, similar ages, they would prioritize. I think it would be a very interesting question for a lot of front offices. Let's move now to the Sixers at 38 and 22. Eight and five since we last checked in on them. 3.2 net rating is 10th in the NBA. They are ninth on offense. 14th on defense that is a massive disappointment for this team to be 14th on defense I think a lot of us felt this was a top five defensive unit coming in and of course they've had massive personnel changes but I mean that's what they were last year and so there's no real reason for them to be worse uh you know moving on from Covington I mean I think in the regular season Covington gave them more than Butler is giving them this year JJ Redick is a year older but they project for still third in the conference at 53 wins although the Pacers Celtics also will have something to say about that Uh, where do you want to start with these guys now let's start with uh, I really enjoyed this question Uh, basically if the Sixers re-sign Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler leaves what can they do with their remaining money flexibility to build out the team and who might they target so the Sixers in that hypothetical, I mean, it depends on what happens with a couple different guys, but I give them, you know, ballpark somewhere around $37 million in space. Now, that includes J.J. Redick, you know, not counting his hold because otherwise you basically cut that in half and maybe, maybe you can try to bring him back. Also, then you only have the room exception, which sucks. But you're looking to me for uh, somebody who can space the floor, ideally who can help your defense, which now is more of an more of an issue than before. The first name that came to my mind, even though he's a little older than their core, is Danny Green. I think Danny Green would be awesome there. You know, you don't have to worry about the too many cooks issue with Danny Green on the floor. He he does his thing, not a problem. Bojan Bogdanovich would be interesting because I think he's been overextended defensively and he's been a better part of the Pacers defense than I expected, but you could slot him in a more sustainable place with that Sixers, you know, with Ben Simmons out there, though you would be losing Jimmy Butler. Those were the first two guys. And one of the big problems for Philly in this hypothetical is there aren't that many more starting caliber players on the really on the perimeter side, unless they want to go with a point guard, but then that opens up other issues. Yeah. Restricted free agents don't really work for them. They'll need to get their work done before you would find out about a restricted free agent. So that's not particularly realistic. Nikola Mirotic would be someone that they could look at. Clearly, they, as Zach Lowe reported, they were involved with him. The Bucks had a better offer there. But 
and they are hard to fit guys in with i mean i think if butler leaves harris it will look pretty good but you've got harris and reddick and now you you really need one more perimeter guy unless you're going to say ben simmons is going to be your perimeter stopper i think simmons is a good one-on-one guy but he's not going to get over a screen as well in conventional pick and roll defense against the other team's point guard you don't want reddick in that role either certainly just kind of filling out their depth i mean a lot of the guys we we've talked about them filling out their depth so many times both in terms of trades and free agents pat beverly is someone who i think could really help them a lot as well west matthews who, who was rumored to go there in the buyout market richie bullock is going to be a free agent you could look at him trevor ariza is going to be a free agent you could look at him as well so there are some guys out there probably guys who are going to need to be overpaid and that's kind of the problem I mean, you could you look at oh well you know i don't know if we want to give jimmy butler this five-year contract that he wants and then maybe he'll leave and maybe it's not going to work out that well and you know we got to pay harris all this money as well and maybe we're not that good even with all these guys and then how do we fill out the bench behind them well giving jimmy butler a five-year contract and tobias harris a five-year contract that doesn't look great until you look at having to give a big contract to some of these other guys who are available as well you know and you either you could say well danny green or west matthews they're 32 maybe we could just you know pay them like s- similar contract to jay Reddick, you know 20 million for one year or something well now you basically used up all of your room for that one year on danny green you know maybe you have one more slot at like 10 million or so depending on who on who ends up staying now if both butler and harris leave then maybe it's a little different but yeah it's like sure overpaying those guys looks rough but at least those guys are like near all-star level of talents it's better than overpaying guys who are even worse than them all right we got about three minutes left here where do you want to go next david mcguff asked if the sixers made a mistake not getting pat beverly in the harris trade considering how much they gave up in the trade obviously getting pat beverly is better than not having pat beverly i i don't know if the math was tenuous enough that that would have created problems but i mean he, w- he would be useful for them to have and beverly's bird rights in this you know rosy hypothetical where they keep butler keep tobias harris keep jj reddick you know just having another guy with a low cap hold if they wanted to keep him around they absolutely could so that would be nice but if for the you know the clippers saw it as a circumstance where hey we're we need we're demanding assets back by adding him in then i could see it being unacceptable yeah and reporting from sam amick today talking about the western coverage that steve Ballmer does want to make the playoffs this year so maybe it was more difficult to get beverly but certainly since we felt that the sixers kind of won the asset game there getting beverly or i'm sorry that the clippers won the asset game in that harris trade getting beverly is something that we think probably would have been fair and maybe even would have been worth like giving up a second or something i don't know if he was available at that price but so it's hard to say that they screwed up because we don't know what it would have taken to get him and apparently they're hell-bent on doing this harris trade but you know i do ultimately think that trade was in favor of the Clippers enough and they also have some guards there already I don't know if they knew they were going to be able to get Garrett Temple for example but they've got Lou Williams they've got Shea like they have guys at that position I think if they would have said hey we're not doing this trade unless we get Patrick Beverly ultimately the the Clippers probably would have caved on it but I don't I can't say whether they made a mistake for sure or not uh Ryan T asked do the Sixers have a deep enough bench slash rotation to be a title contender nope (laughs) next how many minutes a game will Jonah Bolden play in the playoffs? I don't think it's going to be that many. There will be times that Boban is unplayable. I mean, Derek Bodner's brought this up a few times already that teams that aren't, you know, engaging him in high pick and roll almost every single possession are committing malpractice. I mean, it was especially jarring in the early part of the Blazers game when they were doing, of course, 
Portland won that game going away, so it wasn't that big of a problem for them. But but there will be nights when Boban is exploitable. Jonah Bolden is definitely their best other option. So eh, let's say let's say like seven. I'll go with that. Six, seven. All right, man, we had a lot of good questions here. Maybe we should save some of these for next time, Because, uh, but we are sadly out of time. We'll get to the Raptors in a moment. If you're a Raptors fan, you may not have been smiling after the loss at home to the Magic, but the reason certainly isn't because you don't like the way your teeth look if you use Smile Direct Club. You can straighten your teeth with invisible liners sent directly to you for only $80 a month. No braces, no monthly office visits, no paying a fortune. I actually have used Smile Direct Club on my bottom teeth. I was one of those idiots who got braces as a teenager. My parents paid a fortune for it. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, I don't need to wear this bottom retainer. And my teeth got out of alignment. And so... I got them realigned with Smile Direct Club. Took about six months or so, but the beauty of it is with these invisible liners, I mean, people really have to be within like six inches of your face to tell that you even have them on, which is awesome. They've got 200 plus duly licensed doctors that will oversee your plan every step of the way. You can see before and after photos at smiledirectclub.com for more than 350,000 satisfied customers. The way to get started with them is to order a free impression kit with a rebate, or you can schedule a free 3D scan at one of their smile shops. They have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can get $150 off your visible liners at smiledirectclub.com slash podcast. And use the offer code, there's a different offer code here, bball150, to denote that you're getting your $150 off there. bball150 is the code at smiledirectclub.com slash podcast. Once again, smiledirectclub.com slash podcast, offer code bball150 to get your $150 off and let them know that you came from us. All right, what's the latest on the Raptors here? Toronto is 44 and 17, 9 and 4 since the last 15 and 60. They are 7th in net rating at plus 5.2, 8th in offense, 8th in defense, and 538 projects them to win 59 games, which is actually a pretty clear-cut second team in the East. They're they're kind of clear on both sides if the if this margin with the Bucks holds and that's possibly significant for a couple different reasons and they're going to make the playoffs. They have been managing Kawhi Leonard very zealously and that included him sitting in what ended up being a home loss to the Orlando Magic due to load management in a game that was not a back-to-back in any in any way shape or form. Yeah, and is coming off of, of the All-Star, the All-Star break, break too. So it's really like this is a problem. Like this is a real thing here. They are I don't think they are babying him. I think he really is still having sore in that quad I mean that's the only logical explanation to me to the way this has been managed and like I said I mean this is the exact way to do it there's no reason to play him in back-to-backs if he's feeling any soreness at all hold him off they're gonna be they've got enough depth they're gonna be probably in good shape for the two seed unless some other kind of disaster happens here Um, so I mean they've kind of outperformed their point differential to some degree here but I'm and so they've got a little bit more of a cushion they also are probably becoming the biggest Indiana Pacers fans in the world right now to hope that the Pacers get the three seed and that would be fantastic for them to potentially have a pass to the East Finals where they don't have to play any of the other big four until the East Finals that would that would be fantastic for them but no this is a major concern for me still uh, with Kawhi and once they get in the playoffs and especially in the later rounds they're playing every other day they're not really going to have the option to sit him for this load management and hopefully this degenerative condition that people have speculated at least that it's degenerative and you know it's clearly is still a problem here and something to monitor for sure 
unsurprisingly, a series of questions related to Pascal Siakam. And I want to start with the one from Mr. Lewis, which is pretty, it's a short question, but it gets into some topics. Is Pascal Siakam better than Jason Tatum? As of this moment, I think that's pretty clear. Defensively, there's absolutely no contest. Siakam provides some rim protection. I think he's better one-on-one out on the floor, way better just in general as a help defender. Offensively, it really depends what you need. If you need shot creation, you need some mid-rangers. Tatum's backed off on that a little bit. I think Siakam's actually a better passer than Tatum at this point in time. You know, Ben Taylor made the argument. I usually agree with him. I didn't quite agree with him as much here, although it's interesting to talk about that he thinks of Siakam as a very scalable player. Certainly defensively, that is true. Offensively, I think his game is a little bit less. So he's been shooting the above the break three a little bit more. I'm not sure how reliable I see him there just yet. You know, is he really going to be a threat in the playoffs? I, I don't. We don't really know the answer to that yet. Uh, and he does a lot of one-on-one attacking. Now, certainly his grab and goes, his fast break stuff, that's all perfectly scalable. You're not going to take anything off the table for anyone else there. But he does do a, a lot of kind of spin moves and driving and, and attacking and now he does at least go fast you know that's one night thing like they'll do that dribble pitch option for him up top he can get right into the lane quickly that's that's really helpful but i do think this questionable shooting and a lot of his scoring coming off of those one-on-one plays even if it is quick attacks makes it maybe not as scalable tatum far superior three-point shooter i still think a a superior one-on-one creator i think siakam is clearly better than tatum at this point in time unless you're really maybe a, a worse team that needs more shot creation than Siakam can provide you know in terms of a one-on-one guy he can provide shot creation but you can't just give him the ball and say hey go score in the way that maybe you could with Tatum You brought up Jason Tatum's three-point shot, and that is an important distinction to to make, is that Jason Tatum is a better three-point shooter, and that matters a lot. But Siakam, better at getting to the basket, has been more successful there. Also, something that's been surprising to me is how well Siakam has gotten to the free-throw line. That wasn't necessarily something I, you know, and then it's more confidence with the ball in his hands and everything else. So he's actually getting to the line at a much better rate than Tatum right now. Siakam is a better defender than Tatum at this juncture too. So I don't know where it's going to go, but Siakam has been better this year. Sure. Next question here. Yeah. Many people are noticing that there is a Kawhi offense and a Raptors offense. What actions would you suggest the Raptors run to get him easier, more organic looks? Kawhi Leonard is unusual among even great players to an extent. I mean, he's definitely stands up more against everyone else that you don't need to necessarily run a ton to get him his. Uh, he, he can just do that, grind it out, get to a spot, get to the basket. So it isn't as much about those pretty play calls. I think what the Raptors need to be thinking about in that is giving, the, giving some Kawhi time and then maybe cultivating this identity with but more ball movement and player movement in the other minutes. And, you know, that doesn't mean Kawhi, you know, he gets 30 minutes of Kawhi time or anything like that. But I don't think of him, you know, even going back to the time that he was on the Spurs and that series he had against Memphis, that it was, oh, the amazing stuff that Popovich and the Spurs are running. That's what's making Kawhi, you know, dominant. He just, that that his game is hard to counter. I think one of the biggest differences that we've seen is that Kawhi got more spot up stuff when he's with the Spurs. They haven't gotten as much of that this year. So that might be a part of it. I think that's part of why his three-point percentage it hasn't been at the crazy levels that it was in those last few years with the Spurs. So I think that's something that they could look to do is just, you know, a little bit more action with him off the ball. I think there is 
to some degree the desire to placate here to let him have the ball in his hands let him do what he wants to do and also they don't necessarily have another great pick and roll player at this point I mean, Lowry's usage is a little bit down he could still bomb that three but he's not really going to get in the lane and force help the way he might have a, a few years ago and kick out so I don't think there's necessarily a problem there and I think that one of the things we talked about with the Raptors though their offense has declined some since early in the year is the way that they kind of have the hard shots or and the mid-rangers just get taken by the guys who could make those shots and any offense is going to require a few of those unless you're the Houston Rockets and so they have the qualified guys taking those shots so I don't think it's like some massive problem and Kawhi's been very effective and the offense 114 offensive rating with him on the floor that's a little bit lower than some of the other starters but Kawhi will usually play a shift with some of their bench guys where he's asked to do a little bit more and they don't have the same level of shooting around him so I I don't think that that's a a huge concern I mean they've scored well with him on the floor I'm not as worried about it this isn't in a question but it's something I want to note having watched the magic game today I am concerned with how comfortable Nick Nurse is playing lineups that have really one creator and that one creator isn't their best guy you know like there was a time where it was just Jeremy Lin out there and Orlando's second unit while they've been strong over the last you know 10 games or so they just ran that group pretty well and there was one time when Joe I think Jody Meeks was hot with that group but generally they weren't really getting good shots and those lower no chance lineups are going to be a big problem if they if Nurse goes to them in the Eastern Conference playoffs because not only are there a lot of good teams in the East there are a lot of deep teams in the East that can you know use that to get like a you know like a 7-2 run or something like that and it's hard to overcome a lot of games are close all right, lightning run. How should the Raptors use Gasol, Siakam, and Ibaka in their rotations? I still would like to see some of that Siakam at center stuff. I fear that we will never see that until they get really down in a series or really down in a game. Uh, you know, those units have been pretty effective at times from what I've seen, you know, even going back to the time when they were really shorthanded right after the trade. I think Ibaka should be the starter. I mean, that that starting lineup has been awesome. They've scored really well. They have enough creators. Gasol hopefully can help their second unit a little bit more with some of his elbow stuff, his pick and pop game from three, beating up on smaller guys in the post. Having him out there with the second unit, a lot of teams will like to go with a smaller center on the second unit specifically against the Sixers I think Gasol could be really nice you can't really go small against him because in theory he's gonna be able to beat that guy up in the post and set guys up with his passing so I I like him as a way to prevent that counter you know if he if Jonah Bolden is trying to guard him in the post for example like that's not really gonna work so I, I think the way they're doing it now is pretty reasonable but I think they need to hopefully be able to get past guys egos and go with what's working in that particular playoff matchup Siakam at center 333 possessions plus 23 net rating what do you think the Raps acquisition of Jody Meeks don't think he's a playoff player gives teams a place to attack defensively in small small pick and rolls they just needed somebody else who could play a little bit who can bomb some threes Danny Green is really their only super reliable three-point shooter outside of Cal Lowry at this point in time you really look like oh this is a can't leave him type of guy so i understand why they did it don't think he'll be a factor in the playoffs ready for the whiz well i'll just say similar story with pat mccaw somebody asked if he will be a part of the pull rotation in the playoffs no probably not i mean they have enough guards so they don't need patrick mccaw once they get healthy and they're not healthy yet all right let's move on to the wizards here danny let's do it the wizards are 24 and 36 
5 and 10 since the last 15 and 60, 24th in net rating, 16th in offense, 26th in defense, which is super depressing. I mean, that's way worse than I thought they'd be. 34 wins puts them 11th in the East, and they're down to a 7% chance of making the playoffs. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good for them and good for us. I get everybody wins by the Wizards not making the playoffs at this point in time. I want to start this. This is a stat I've had in here since for like a month because with just with the way 15 and 60s have gone. F- Fred Katz had tweeted it out earlier. I have updated it. It's this bizarre thing with the Wizards this year. They are now two and eight on the first night of back-to-backs and seven and two on the second end of back-to-backs, which is usually when teams are worse. I have no good explanation. And they're only two first night wins that were said there were two and eight. That triple overtime game against Phoenix and then the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, I mean, that seems pretty damn random. It's uh, so weird. So you want to talk about that uh, that Sadoransky question? You did a little bit of looking at that. Yeah, I did. So we got asked, how is Thomas Sadoransky played? Should the Wizards invest in him with the cloudage on wall around? And Sadoransky, he's restricted, but not arenas limited because this is his third NBA season. This is also Sadoransky's age 27 season. So you're looking at 20, 28, 29, 30, maybe 31, depending on how many years he gets. And Sado has fit in well as a an unusual thing, which is a low usage starting guard. You know, there aren't that many of those in the league. And part of that's because Bradley Beal has stepped up. He's been wonderful the whole season, but including when, when John Wall got hurt. And so Sato, as a starter, he's averaging 11 and 11 and six in 32 minutes a game, but he's doing that on 60% true shooting, which is pretty great. And 47% for three, which is unsustainable. I mean, that's ridiculous. He's not going to, he's not going to be at that level moving forward. Uh, something that should cause a little bit of concern, like in terms of giving him big money is that the Sato Beal combination has done very well, you know, plus two net rating, 114 offensive rating. And when you consider when those guys have played together, that is pretty impressive. I mean, those haven't been super talented Wizards lineups, but Sadoransky is not enough to really sustain the offense by himself. It, without Beal on the floor, offensive rating below 102, and they've been getting killed net rating. Net rating isn't necessarily Sato's fault, but if he can't be like the engine of the offense, then that's a big problem. So my I wouldn't go crazy with paying him, but I think they're in a really good place because especially now in some ways that Otto Porter is gone. I think the teams are just going to stay away from Sadoransky because he's a restricted free agent that the Wizards will be likely to match. So I'm guessing he will price himself into their range and, you know, something in the solid backup, you know, 8 million to 12 million a year for three years. If that's if it doesn't end up being richer than that, I think they're fine. Oh man, I would be very surprised if he got that much. Right, but that's like that's what I was saying is like if what I was trying to get at is that I I, I that would be the range where I would be uncomfortable. Granted, I'm higher on Sadoransky than most. I think he's going to be more in the five to six million dollar range. Yeah, and he does have that six million dollar cap hold. They've also got Bobby Portis as a restricted free agent. If they were to move on from both Sadoransky and Portis, they could have a, a little bit over ten million or so in space, depending on uh, where their draft pick falls. So it does seem like if they want to bring back Portis and Sadoransky, you can kind of get two for the price of one there. Uh, Staying over the cap would also enable them to hold on to the cap hold of Ariza. We do have a question about uh, whether they have any chance at resigning Trevor Ariza. And I just kind of chuckled at that. Uh, Obviously a typo, but the first thing basically that Steve Kyler uh, at Basketball Insiders, then Hoops World, then became Basketball Insiders, told me when he kind of plucked me out of obscurity I just had my own 
own blog, the team rebound back in 2013. The first email we got from him is like, hey, free agency is starting. It's re-signing with the dash, not resigning. And he, he didn't quite say this, but it, it was one of those like, anybody who makes this mistake is fired. <laughs> like it was, I mean, it, he, I'm sure he wouldn't have done that, but it was kind of, that was, uh, so I've never ever made that mistake before, but that it kind of just reminded me of that. Uh, good times there, but what are the chances of re-signing them? Uh, Trevor Reza giving his expected cost and their cap slash competitive situation. Uh, Ariza seems to have some interesting motivations. First going to Phoenix, who knows how much Houston offered him. Then went to the Wizards. Part of the reason that they got him was to make a playoff push, but there's also been even some reporting that he might be open to re-signing there. Uh, they'll be able to pay him if they stay over the cap up to 18 million dollars 120 percent of his prior salary since he's on a one-year deal he's making 15 this season i mean i think if they offer him 18 million even for one year he, he might be very interested he's shot only 31 percent from three as a wizard and obviously i think you have to say that that hasn't worked out necessarily especially given the fact that they later made the move to open up space under the tax by moving porter holding on to kelly Oubre as a younger player probably would have been a better move not that Ubre has been unbelievable in phoenix but still as a younger player kind of makes a little bit more sense there so i don't know i i mean if i had to say i'd say less than 50 percent chance there's a lot of teams out there with cap space who can use him if he's prioritizing winning washington will not be the place for him uh and with john wall likely to miss nearly all of next season at a minimum ariza will benefit from there just being more teams with space this year and it only takes one or two to like him and he plays a position of intense need and contributed you know other than missing a bunch of threes in game seven he was he contributed to the Rockets success last year in the regular season and in the playoffs so if they can rely on that in his you know traversing into his mid-30s he could get an offer and I don't know exactly as you said like what he what he's prioritizing considering he signed with the Suns and I mean we thought that they weren't going to be good he might have thought they were going to be better we don't know that exactly another question what's your concern level that Troy Brown cannot find his way under the Wizards rotation at all given the state of their current roster I try not to read too much into that especially for a rookie because there are a bunch of different factors that could be in play you know Scott Brooks might be seeing this as a as a win now thing and I mean they have other players who you know have have some sort of pedigree I mean they have you know rolled out at different points you know players that that aren't necessarily established but it's a first-year player I mean we've even seen you know very destructive first-year players become successful pros and so there's that that makes total sense now if as they're transitioning into a less competitive state if at that point you're still not giving him a try i'll be a little bit more concerned yeah bronze individual numbers not very effective in 212 minutes this season i mean frankly without specifically going and watching film on him it's tough to catch enough of him to form any kind of an impression basically outside the numbers because he has played so little you know, Brooks isn't necessarily the number one guy I trust to kind of get it right necessarily in terms of who's who's good. And I imagine if they fall out of it here, you mentioned their low playoff odds, he'll get more of a chance going forward here. They have had a surfeit of wings and I think they want to see what Bobby Portis looks like, what Jabari looks like. You know, Brown is more of a wing, but it's very hard with his limited three-point shooting. He's only four out of 16 on the season, did not shoot it well at Oregon. There's just not many ways for him to contribute with the pro profile that he has I mean, he's not an amazing athlete not going to be a real good defender if he can't make the three ball 
I mean, he's someone who has some shot creation abilities. I think he could be one of these players who could be decent in a lot of areas eventually, but as a rookie, maybe just isn't there. So I, I understand. I don't, I don't think the concern level should be that high because the type of player he profiles as is it's like he's got to make reasonable improvement in a lot of areas, which I think he can given his skill set potentially, but there's just not the one thing that he does that can get him on the floor right now. All right, I think we can pack it in here. Anything to talk about before we go? Yeah, I produced a few things, even though I was on break part of this last week too. I did record a, a fun podcast with Sam Vicini for Real Jam Radio. We talked about the Zion Williamson situation, how Duke is going to look without him, however long that is, and then other draft stuff and free agency stuff. Also wrote on Kavon Looney's free agency situation for the Athletic Bay Area and did a, a piece that I really enjoyed about the teams that changed their situation in terms of cap space or being over the tax, that kind of stuff at and around the trade deadline. So getting into like how what the Knicks did affects their offseason and the Nets and some of these other teams and enjoyed going through that process as kind of leading into all the offseason work I'm going to do for them. All right, we'll be back in a bit here with the rest of the 15 and 60. Talk to you all soon. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.